We're going to continue our, our lessons in uh, Genesis. So let's go ahead and bow as we open up the word. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word and see how your word is true and how you want us to accept it and, and believe it. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read basically the whole chapter again and then we'll go through it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth, of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it be divided, divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, Let there be the waters be gathered under the heaven together into one place, and let dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and, and gathered together the waters, and it called the sea, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass and herb bearing seed and fruit trees yielding fruit after his kind and, it, and whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for the signs and for seasons and for days and for years and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and it was so and God made two great lights the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and he made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day and God said let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creatures that have life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves, which is waters brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind. And, law, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the sea and the fowl multiply on, in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth and every tree which is, yields its fruit and a tree yielding seed. So to, to you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth and every fowl of the air and to everything that creeps upon the earth, wherefore there is life, I have given you every green herb for meat. And it was so. 
And God saw that he had, if, that he had made, and behold, every, it was very good. And the evening and morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host in them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all of the work which God created and made. So we're still on the creation, first seven days of creation. And I just wanted to bring this out because many people will, you know, we've talked about this over and over, many people will say it's not that important of whether there was a seven day creation, and I will contend that it is absolutely important. Because if God lied to us, just as I've said for the last week in the first, first uh, re reference of the Bible, then we can't believe anything. So it's very important for us to believe these stories pretty much as written. And there's a group of people, and we've talked about this, there's people that say, well, in the Bible it tells us a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years are as a day. So there's a lot of people who believe that each one of these days represent a thousand years. Well. We're going to show you why it can't be as we go through this day's lesson. There's things called theistic evolution, that God used evolution and he just guided it. <laughs> you know, that's what some Christians answer, you know, evolution happened, it's millions of years, and it was just God touching it here and there and, and making it happen because they're trying to bring together the, the, the ways that it goes. So let's tell you about the story of evolution. Evolution believes that all that ever existed started in a very small microscopic dot. <laughs> That dot exploded, and everything that is in this world exists. By the evolutionist point of view, hydrogen was produced by this dot that formed together into big clouds of dust and somehow ignited into suns, or stars as you might want to call them. At the same time as this explosion, big balls, balls of molten lava went flying out of this explosion. They congealed into planets and somehow got wrapped around these stars to make planets. From those molten bowl, balls of lava, you had volcanic activity that somehow produces water. The water flows upon the rocks, <laughs> produces a mineral-rich environment where amino acids can be produced. The amino acids somehow gather together and make life. And then you have evolution starting. Okay. Now let's finish their story. They start with a, a photosynthesis plant. And from that photosynthesis plant, they end up going to single cell uh, animals. Then you end up with fish. Then you end up with insects. Then you end up with land animals. Then you end up with land, uh, uh, plants on the land so the animals can eat on land. Then you end up with trees. Then you end up with four-legged animals. Then you end up with amphibians. Well, I don't know how you get to amphibians from four-legged animals, but that's what they say. Uh, then you end up with birds. Then you end up with flowering plants. Then you end up with grass. And then you end up with the birds going back into the water as whales. <laughs> okay? This is the order of creation, of evolution. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is because we're going to look at what God says he did. And God's order is nothing like the evolutionary order. And that's why I put in your, in your little folders today that handout from Answers in Genesis saying this is what they say happens and this is what the Bible says happens. Now, I'd already been working on it before I found that handout, so I did that handout late. But it, I just want, we just want to look at this because it is kind of an interesting thing. And we've talked about how evolutionists still well, do not believe that, that anything comes from nothing. They'll, they'll tell you that, nothing, that it can't come. That's why they start with this little singularity that had everything in it. 
Now, where that singularity comes from, we don't know, but it, it's always existed. <laughs> uh, and then you have life can't come from anything but life, unless you're an evolutionist and somehow believe that all these chemicals come together and somehow life springs up. Okay, and they're still trying to figure. I mean, they're still trying to figure that out. I mean, it's kind of funny what you know, reading their, reading their writings. You know, and they're going, well, you know, it just happens. We don't know how it happens. We've never seen it happen. We know that life does not produce out of nothing, out of non-life, but we know that it had to have happened because life is here. And that's the logic they use. <laughs> okay, we know that something is here, so there could never be a time when there was nothing. So therefore, we have to have this little singularity that had everything in it. And then they accuse Christians of having a lot of faith and believing in God. <laughs> okay. I can believe in a God who can make all this stuff happen, who is pre-existent and eternal a lot easier than I can a little singularity that all of a sudden blew up and formed planets and stars and then somehow life popped into existence from, those, from that explosion. Uh, I don't have enough faith to believe that fairy tale that evolutionists tell. So we look at this and... The earth was f without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth when God first created the universe. Why did he create it that way? I believe so that he could take six days to create and rest one day. <laughs> you know, and we talked about this. God could have created everything there was in a nanosecond. I mean, he didn't even need a nanosecond to create everything. He's God. He could have just said, I think I want this there, and there it would be. <laughs> but he wanted us to know his power his care, and he wanted us to have a six-day week where we could rest for one day out of the, uh, uh, after working for six. So the first thing that God created, he says, let there be light. Now remember, this is not sunlight. This is not a star. This is just light. God says, let there be light. It's going to be the same light that we see in heaven where God is our light. That's what Revelation tells us. In the new heaven and earth, God is the light, which means it shines from all, all directions, all places. But God let it separate the earth so that there was a day and a night. This kind of blows away everything because this, isn't even, this idea isn't even covered by evolution, that there would be light with nothing. <laughs> okay, We have an earth being created, and there's no sun. Evolutionists say that can't happen. You have to start with the hydrogen-based sun because the hydrogen is a simple atom and it starts and somehow we get these carbon-based planets of rocks thrown out into the, out there to be made, made into planets. God starts with a planet. He goes, here's my planet and this is what I'm going to start with. We want to keep this in mind because when you start talking about theistic evolution or progressive evolution or the age-day theory, all of those fall apart because it's not the order that God says he did it in. The other problem with that is if you have long periods of time and you have death, we haven't got to it yet, but where does death come from? Death comes from the disobedience of Adam and Eve and sin. You cannot have death before sin and the Bible be true. Okay, I'm hoping you get that. There cannot be death and sin before sin because it's not true. Everything is based on sin and death coming from Adam and Eve. Okay, This is very important for us to understand. When we start talking, when you start talking to somebody and they go, well, you know, the Bible says a day can be a thousand years. You're right, a day could be a thousand, is like a thousand years, but that doesn't fit into, it doesn't fit in creation. Because if you've got thousands of years and you've got life and death going on, 
without sin, you have a theological problem. Okay, and this is why this, this first chapter and second chapter are extremely important to us. If they are not true, everything about our theology is wrong. There was no reason for Jesus to come because death and sin did not cause, uh, sin did not cause death. If what they want to tell us is, is true. It is absolutely important that this first story is believed and understood. And, I'm, and I know I'm kind of maybe boring people by doing so many of these, but I, it's so important that we get this down. So important that we have this down because otherwise everything else about Christianity falls apart. It all falls apart. If this first story is not true, then everything is wrong. And it is, you know, and I've heard many people, I believe me, I've been around for a long time, and I've heard people say, well, it's not that important. You don't have to believe it. And as we said the first day, you can be a Christian without believing it. I'm not sure what you're believing in. But you can be a Christian without believing in a, in a six-day creation because all you've got to believe is that Jesus died for your sins, rose again, and allows you and gives you a gift of salvation. That's the gospel message. And you don't have to necessarily believe this, but the question becomes, why did Jesus have to die if death and sin are not the issue? And that takes us back to why are so many kids leaving the church is because people aren't saying that this is serious. They had parents that say, well, it's not that big a deal. I'm not sure if you all were watching the, the PowerPoint before that. I put a PowerPoint slide up which showed the recreation of the Noah's Ark with 500 people in front of it. And the people look like ants. <laughs> and the Ark dwarfs everything out there. Now, and it's very important. I, I put it in there, and we're going to show that more often a couple of times because it's so important for us to really understand how big was the Ark. How many of you remember in Sunday school, if you went to Sunday school, or, or you, you see this little tiny boat and the animals are hanging out of it and, you know, and it's totally unseaworthy and you know, people show that to our kids and the kids go, wow, you know, it's, it's a cute little picture, but when you get older and say, well, how could a boat like that, and you remember the picture that you got in Sunday school, hold all those animals and survive a storm? Well, because the boat didn't look anything like that, <laughs> okay? We need to be very serious about what God says is true. So after the first day, God said that he created the atmosphere out of the water. Now, if we went back to the evolution story, they have a planet with a lot of volcanic activity producing some, sort of, some form of atmosphere, then producing rain and water. So again, we have God saying the, the planet starts out with a water covering. Why? Because he put it there. <laughs> now, makes no scientific uh, you know, answer. There's no scientific reason for God to have put it water first. And he splits the water with an atmosphere. Now, was there literally water on top of water? Or was it just really thick clouds? I'm not going to get into that. There's all kinds of people who will go both directions. But he split the water. <laughs> and however water was, he split the two. Whether it was an extremely thick cloud cover like Venus has, or if he literally had an ocean above and below, we know that when the flood comes along, all the water that he had above comes down, because that's what he tells us. So we, we want to be able to just accept what he says. But again, the order is different from what evolutionists tell us. They start out with rock and an atmosphere and water. God starts out with some rock, obviously, because he says the, water, the land's going to come up. But it's covered with water, and then God creates an atmosphere. So this is what he did. You know, in, two, in his first two days, all he's created is light and, light and uh, atmosphere. 
you know, but it's kind of amazing. The atmosphere he created was perfect for the life that we need, the life he was going to create. We need so much oxygen, uh, 17 or 18% oxygen, and, and we need the huge amount of nitrogen in the atmosphere so that the planet doesn't burn off on the first spark of, of, uh, that hit it. Because you know, most people think we have this oxygen atmosphere, and we do have a large amount of oxygen, but God has protected us because if it was pure oxygen, if you've ever been around somebody who's breathing oxygen, it's highly flammable. And not just highly flammable, it's explosive <laughs> flammable. And God put just enough oxygen for us, but not so much to have our atmosphere burn away on the first fire. You know, it's amazing what God does. The thought that God put into this world and the perfection and balance of this world. We're not, we don't even talk about it in creation, but the tilt of the axis of our world is just perfect for the seasons so that we can grow the food we need for our se- you know, to feed ourselves. You know, just amazing. So then we look on the third, third day, God says, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. So God gathered up all the waters and, made, and probably pushed the earth up and had, had land. And we just talked about it in the evolutionary process. Land was first. Matter of fact, it was first even before the air. And then you had the water. Okay, so we're, we're seeing a difference. And this is why I want you to understand when people come at you with these ideas of God engineered you know, evolution or it took thousands of years for this to happen, it's not valid according to this. Can you imagine God's getting ready to do plants and there's no sun? Okay, because the next step on earth is that he said, let there bring forth grass and herb building, yielding seeds and fruit trees. In that order, grass, herbs, and trees. Imagine if you have a thousand year day on day three with no sun. How long will your plants live? Now, anybody who's grown plants, you know, even if you leave them inside where they're not getting a full sunlight, they don't live. Other than a handful of variety that can live on other things, but for the most part, they don't live. So if somebody wants to say, well, a day could be a thousand years, okay, fine. How do the plants live for a thousand years without a sun? without photosynthesis. Now remember, I already told you that the, the first form of life in the evolutionist mind is photosynthesis, not even plants, but photosynthesis, algaes, and, and those type of things. And God's saying he produced plants. Produced plants on day three. But I'm also going to introduce every, every tree, every plant produces after its kind. Okay, this process that God's talking about is extremely important to understand. Everything produces after its kind. And he starts out with the trees. And you can cross-pollinate roses all day long and get different colors of, of roses, but you can't cross-pollinate a rose with some other kind of plant. Now I know even having said that, there's different things they call roses that don't necessarily have the name roses, and we're not going to get into what a kind is. But you're not going to cross-pollinate a rose with a bean. <laughs> okay, it's not going to happen. Uh, so we see this, and God says, after its kind. Matter of fact, if you try to splice limbs from other trees into, into a tree, you still end up with that branch producing what it always produces, what it's designed to produce. Now, it may not taste quite right, 
if you put a apple branch into a pear tree's roots, you're going to get apples on that branch. They'll taste a little bit like pears, though, because they're getting the nutrients for a pear. I know that for a fact because we had a tree when I was young that had like five different branches in it. It was kind of interesting. You go up to a tree and you got a pear on this side, an apple on this side, and cherries on this side. And I think they were in an apple base, so everything tasted like an apple. You know, you know, you had pears, but they had an apple flavor. You had the cherry. You know, it was a really strange tree. But it still produced <laughs> after its kind. And if you planted the seeds from those apple trees, the apple branch, you probably would end up with an apple that would taste like an apple because it's getting an apple root. Okay? But everything produces after its kind. And this is important for us to keep in mind because evolutionists want to tell us that everything starts with one, one spark of life someplace and somehow jumps kinds. You know, that would be like you having a pregnant cat and it, and it delivers pigs. Now, if anybody ever has that happen, I'd love to know. I'd love to hear about it because that would prove the Bible wrong. Okay, if it was natural and not implanted and all that stuff, you know. But, but that is what evolutionists want to tell you, that your cat, your pregnant cat, produces, produces elephants or pigs or dogs or snakes. You know, it's, it makes no sense. <laughs> and it's kind of funny when you talk to evolution and you say, "Give me an example of evolution." And they'll tell you all about how a particular kind will change into something that is, you know, they looked at a bacteria that it becomes resistant to, to the uh, drugs that would kill it normally. And you'll see that that's, that's evolution. No, that's adaptability. That's not evolution. Okay. If you live in a hot climate, your animals will start getting rid of the fur, and the ones that are survivors would be the ones that get thinner and thinner and lighter and lighter coats. That's just adaptability. It's not evolution. And they'll point to things like that and say, well, see. And, the, and they love to point to Darwin's finches of the Galapagos Islands and say, see, their beaks changed. Well, one time they had nuts that they had to crack. So they needed thicker, you know, thicker beaks to break the nuts. So they, those, those ones bred because the other ones didn't survive well. Other times they had to dig deep into the woods. They needed the sharper, longer beaks. It's not, it was all adaptability. It wasn't evolution. They were still finches. Different shaped beaks, but they were still finches. And so we look at this, and God says he gives the ground, he creates the grasses. And if this is actual order, he did grass, herbs, and, and trees. And it brought forth after its kind, and they produced. And God said that was day three, and it was good. Then he decides to create the stars and the moon and our nearby star, the sun. And it's kind of interesting that what does he tell us they're for? He tells us that they're there to rule over the day, rule over the night. They're to, to give us signs and to tell us when our seasons are. What, do, what does the sun do? It tells us, you know, depending on where it is in the, in the sky, it tells us whether it's spring, summer, uh, fall, or winter. The weather comes in. The stars change their, you know, seem to change depending on which way uh, the earth is tilting at the time. And we see all of these wonderful stories that God has put into the stars. And it's an amazing, amazing study to, to look at what God's done with the stars, which we don't have time for today. But he made all of the stars. And you know, God named all the stars, it tells us in Psalms. He knows the names of all the stars. We as humans can't even count all the stars. <laughs> 
It, it's kind of funny when you look at the history of the counting of the stars. <laughs> we start out with one person giving us a number. I think he said 62,000 or something, because <laughs> that's what he could see with the naked eye. And then he had another, another guy come along a little later says, oh, no, he's way off. He, he double counted a lot of the stars. There's only 50,000 or something. <laughs> Now we aim the Hubble telescope in any direction, and if we leave it, leave it for any length of time, all we see is a white picture. Because there's so many stars out there that we can't even, be, we as humans can't begin to count them. The only reason we know they're finite is because God told us they're finite. And he told us he knows the names of the stars. And we want to say what a wonder God has done for us. He gave us the stars. He gave us the moon. He gave us the planets. Then on day five, or day four, we've got the animals being, the flying animals and the fish. All the fish. And God even just, just because he knew what evolution was going to do in our day, he told us he created whales that day. <laughs> just, so we go, just so we could know that we were going to be told later on that whales came after everything. And he created the flying animals. So any animal that flies and any animal that swims in the ocean was created that day. Whales, dolphins, sharks, all the fish that you can think of, all the coral and everything, everything that's living and, and growing in the, in the water. And the birds are all created on day four. Uh, excuse me, day five. Uh, get losing track here, day five. And he says, be fruitful and multiply after your kind. <laughs> so again, we're seeing after your kind. So again, you're not going to see an eagle give birth to a parakeet. <laughs> you know, not going to happen. You're not going to see a chicken becoming, become a hawk. <laughs> Just isn't going to happen. They're going to produce. Now you can have a chicken hawk, but that's a different kind of bird altogether. <laughs> but a chicken isn't going to become a hawk. <laughs> But you see what we're saying is everything produces after its kind. And God is very specific here. This is why when we start talking about evolution and them saying we can change between kinds, we're going, nope, God says everything produces after its kind. So we have all of these animals. And then on day six, God creates all the land animals. All land animals on day six. The worms, the insects, the mosquitoes that all of us love so much. <laughs> you know, uh, all these things. And it creates dinosaurs as well. And I'm going to just be blunt with that. He creates the dinosaurs on day six that are on land. Now, your pterodactyls would have been created on what day? Day five, because they fly. <laughs> your, your plesiosaurs and those that are swimming dinosaurs would have been created on day five. Why do we say that they were created on day six? Because God created everything on this world. <laughs> okay? And if he created everything on this world, then they had to have been created either on day five or day six. He didn't. So this idea is that man lived with dinosaurs. And there's lots of different records. People go, well, the dinosaurs aren't mentioned in the Bible. And I will contend that they are mentioned many times in the Bible. Number one, they used the word dragon, which I believe is the word that they used in the older days for dinosaurs. Because if you read about dragons, they were huge animals of four legs with long tails that made havoc upon the, the villages that they visited. 
Now, just imagine if a brontosaurus came into your, in your village when you're a farmer and decided he was hungry. You would be saying to the, to the government, uh, come over here and get rid of this thing. It's uh, destroying our land. And you'd probably call it a dragon. And there's dragon myths and stories all through the world. Okay. We're also told in Job of two animals that sound very much like dragons, uh, dinosaurs. When he talks about the behemoth, he says it's got a leg that's so thick it looks like a tree. It's got a tail like a cedar tree. And he says it thunders when it walks. You know, and I challenge you, go and read Job uh, 39 or through 41, I believe it is, and, and you'll see the picture of something that sounds, if you really think about it, sounds just like some form of brontosaurus. Okay. And people will go, well, see, there's no, no, no dinosaurs. I go, well, you read it. Now, if you have an NIV or newer Bibles, they'll try to tell you it's a hippopotamus. Uh, I haven't seen too many hippopotamuses. I would say that their tail looks like a cedar tree. You know, it looks like a little foxtail. You know, it's not, <laughs> you wouldn't even call it a tail. They say, well, it's an elephant. And an elephant has a little whip, that, you know, a little thing that looks like a whip that's about three, you know, two or three feet long and you and if you boy you're being imagined if you want to call that a cedar tree okay it just doesn't match up so we look at this and say God has already described that he has built created now people who believe and we talked about the gap theory that there's this huge gap that somehow Satan created all these animals and stuff and then they died off again you have the problem with death before sin okay disease before sin because we are finding these bones from dinosaurs that have cancer and, and tuberculosis and all these diseases. Death and, death and disease came because of sin. So if we've got death and disease before sin, then these things cannot be before day five or day six. All right? And I'm not trying to lose people, but I'm trying to make you able to answer some questions because, and again, I've, I will admit, probably everybody sitting in this room is just saying, well, I believe it. It's in the Bible. I believe it. And that's great until you start talking to your grandchildren and your nieces and your nephews who are being taught that it's just a bunch of fairy tales and isn't true. We need to be ready to defend it to our, to our family because they are being told it's not real. And if they're not in church understanding that it's real, then there's a problem. And even if they are believing in and they're in church believing that is true they need to know why not everybody can just believe because because it's there and say well I just believe because it's there that's our starting place but as I said the greatest thing about us having the Bible is the Bible holds up to scrutiny when it is examined it stands up it's an amazing thing we did in Daniel in the Daniel class just the other day when Luke lists off a whole bunch of leaders to tell us when John the Baptist was baptizing and we look at those leaders and we say when did he rule when did he rule when did he rule when did he rule and we find out 27 AD is when John the Baptist was baptizing because of the list of the people that 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 uh, Luke put in it's an amazing thing to do this the Bible holds up to scrutiny everybody who's looked at the Bible and said I'm gonna disprove the Bible if they're honest researchers end up becoming a Christian because they start tearing it apart and realize oh it has to be real and once they get to the place where it has to be real 
then they have to come to the place of, if the rest of it's true, is it true that we needed a Savior and that Jesus died for us? And that they look at it and say, yes, he did resurrect. And then you have to answer that question. Am I going to turn to the God that the book talks about? And very important for us on this. But it then goes in that man, man's created after the image of God. Man is given a spirit for God. This does not mean that God is up there with two arms, two legs, two eyes, two ears, and, and just like us. That is not what it means. But we have emotion. We have love. We have, we have caring. We have a sense of humor. We have the creative ability, not like God did from nothing, but a creative ability to take what God gives us and make things from it. As is very obvious, all we got to do is look around us. There's all kinds of things in this room that are made from the stuff that God gave us and are made for our, our comfort. Our wonderful fans to keep the air moving, our swamp cooler to keep it, keep it not at 90, 90 plus in here. Uh, all the things that man can create because we are created in God's image with creativity, with the desire to reach out. And it says that we're all created, we reproduce after our own kind. And again, we make that point. No woman that's going into the maternity ward expects to, to give birth to a dog. Okay? Uh, it just, if they gave birth to a dog, it would be, you know, that would make news, that would show evolution. You know, uh, evolutionists say that, uh, that birds came after, after mammals, so therefore no woman's going to go in and expect to give birth to a bird. <laughs> Just not going to happen. Uh, and the funny thing is the evolutionists will tell you that they don't expect it either. They expect that something will change from kind to kind, but they don't expect anything to give birth other than what it starts out as. And, you know, to me, they're insane. <laughs> I believe that something can give birth to something other than what it is, but I never expect to see it. it does not make sense to me. Uh, they, they either believe one or they believe the other. They can't believe both because those are diametrically opposed. If you believe that kinds can be, you know, be looking, you'd be looking everywhere for the first, first animal or person that gave birth to something that wasn't them. Literally wasn't them. You know, it's, you know, you'd look for that dog that gave birth to a cat or the snake that gave birth to a bird. You know, you'd be looking everywhere for that to happen. But it doesn't happen, and they don't look for it because they don't really expect it to happen. Because they know that, you know, they'll just tell you it happens so quickly, nobody could ever see it, and then it doesn't happen for years and years. And then God created everything, and he said, you can eat all the grass and fruits and trees and, and herbs that you want. You know, do you realize that every animal, according to Scripture, has been created as a, a vegetarian. Your, your lions, your tigers, your, your everything that eats meat now was originally created vegetarian. And we're not given the permission to eat meat until Genesis 9, after the flood. Does that mean you have to eat vegetarian? No, I'm not going to go that far. I love my meat and I'm not going to stop eating meat, but... <laughs> uh, but we were created originally vegetarian. Why? There's no death yet. How are you going to eat meat when you can't kill the meat? Because death does not exist. All right? So it's a very strong reason why we're created vegetarian, because you're not, death does not exist at this point. 
So then after all of this, God said, it looked around and he saw everything was very good. His creation, he declared, was very good. Matter of fact, he could have put in there perfect. Perfect environment, perfect weather. It's going to tell us later on it didn't even rain. A mist rose up to water the plants and then it fell back and went, came back down. It didn't rain. No storms, no tornadoes, hurricanes, all the other things, earthquakes, all the things that we, we find. When man sins, it was cataclysmic to this world. It was cataclysmic to us as humans because death entered into our, into our existence. But it was cataclysmic to the entire earth. Thorns and thistles started being produced. You've got the storms that come along. You've got all these things that are coming along. You're going to have earthquakes, all these things that happen because man sinned. Because man had dominion over the world. God gave it to him. Originally, we were supposed to rule this world completely. And man sinned and gave that dominion away. And God said, at the beginning, though, everything was very good. We can't even picture what that's going to be like or what that would have been like. We can't picture what heaven's going to be like because of our sin nature so warps anything that we look at that we can barely even begin to picture what a perfect environment is going to be. And yet, God said originally it was very good. And then God rested. Now, we're just going to talk momentarily because I've gone long today. God rested. Now, does, does that mean that God just got, got to the, the seventh day and go, I'm so tired, I've just got to rest? No, that wasn't where God was at all. He rested to give us an example. Because we're mortal, we do need rest. And I love the way Del Tackett said it. He actually told people to take a break from having fun. Have you ever done something that you did that you just thought was fun? You know, you, you didn't feel pressured. You just loved doing it so much. Every once in a while, somebody would be lucky enough to have a job that they get paid to do something that they just love. And God's saying, I want you to take a break from having fun. Just a day to focus on me and just quit having fun. All of us kind of like the idea when, we're, when we feel like we're working hard and, and don't like our job, we look forward to those days off. <laughs> okay, I just can't wait to get to my day off. But I've, seen, I've heard people that, go, that love to just work in their yard. And they'll go, and they will say something like, well, working in my yard on my day off is my relaxation. No, you're still working. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're having fun, you're still working. God wants you to rest. We all need that day of rest. No matter how much we think we don't, if you've ever tried to work seven days straight for long periods of time, and you get to or at the very end of that time and everybody's starting to tell you you're grumpy and you're mean and you're nasty and, you know, and you're not even realizing it necessarily because you're getting tired <laughs> and you need your day off, you've gone well beyond your period of rest. It's very important that we rest. Even if you enjoy and love what you're doing, you've got to take that time and focus on God and worship God and spend time with him. Does it have to be on, on Saturday, the Sabbath? No. Does it have to be on Sunday? No. You know, I work very hard on Sunday. <laughs> I get to teach quite a few times, and in between, I, I, I restudy the thing. So this is not my day off. And 
we need that time. We need the opportunity. But God says we need to rest. And it's a divine order to rest. And you can't just say, well, I just enjoy what I'm doing, God. I don't need to rest. You still need to rest. <laughs> you still need to rest and stop. Because Adam and Eve would have been in that same place. I can't imagine the gardening, the, uh, being the gardener in the Garden of Eden was that hard a job. Nothing dies. There's no storms to blow the limbs off the trees. There's no weeds. What a hard job that was. <laughs> you know, really hard job to take care of. You know, go, go pluck some fruit. You know, I'm kind of hungry. I'm going to go pluck some fruit. fruit. Now, I want a tree over here. I'll plant, I'll plant, I'll plant some fruit over here. You know, uh, you know, really, really tough job. <laughs> The ground is not caliche clay that you have to use a steam shovel to get through. <laughs> um, you know, it's nice, soft, fertile earth that you just kind of probably could pick it up with your hand and, and pluck, you know, plant it with. <laughs> you know, really hard job that he had, and God saying, "I want you to stop once a week and really pay attention to me for once a week and just rest. Quit having fun once a week and just look to me." So. We do this and just remember the whole idea is as you run across people that want to tell you about how God could have used evolution, that it could have been a lot longer than we wanted to, that we think of. Bring them back to the bring it back to this. The story of Genesis is true. And show them that God's order is different from anything evolutionists say. Tell them that you couldn't have a thousand days, because just imagine this. Adam and Eve, Adam only lived to be six, uh, 969 years. So if a day, day was 1,000 years, that means that he died before he even got to day seven. You ever think about that? He died before he got to day seven. He never even had a day to rest. And somehow all these other people barely got, barely got to the day of rest. So we want to be able to look at these things. Um, the, the flood of Noah, according to the genealogies, would have been in day seven if the day, if the day is a thousand years. And how you even get to 900 years, some years, if a day is a thousand years, I don't know. So we think about this. God is logical. He doesn't tell us things that don't make sense. And because he is logical, he keeps giving us information that is logical. All right, we're going to sing a couple more songs here. Well, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the message. Lord, help us to go forward and be able to help defend you and give the reason for our beliefs to our family members, our relatives, and those that we know and talk to so that they can start seeing the logic of who you are and why it's important. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.